Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team in Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S. and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com, click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. All right. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to, I believe, the 72nd episode of Real Hawk Talk. Uh, I am Brian Nenhauser. Uh, you're one of your hosts, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger. Um, I am joined tonight by our intrepid crew. Uh, we've got two of the three. Uh, Jeff will be joining us shortly uh, from Toronto. Um, you'll enjoy my Real Hawk Talk backdrop, um, you know, I you know the guys are a little jelly, but they can't do that without it looking like they're in some sort of like UHF uh, hell. But um, <laughs> we got we got so much to cover. Uh, Evan at Evan Hill on uh, at Evan Hill S E A on Twitter. Can you remind me um, how many games have the Seahawks played so far this season? They've played, I believe, two games. And out of those two games, how many games have they won so far? They've won two of two games, and it's about to be three of three games. So I'm hyped about this team. That means they've lost – my math's correct, Nathan. That means they've lost zero? Uh, I think that adds up. Okay. Okay. Well, this is the type of analysis people can expect the rest of the night. Uh, Nathan, welcome at NathanE11 on Twitter. How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's Wednesday night. It's eight o'clock. It's time for real hawk talk. And man, I think this is going to end up, you know, assuming that that uh, what we hope happens from here on out, this could be a very fun season. And these Wednesday nights could be a lot of fun with uh, folks joining and talking Seahawks. So, uh, we've got tons to cover. There are trade rumors that we have to talk about, whether or not. <laughs> 
Uh, oh, yeah. please. I, mean, I, I pray to God. I pray to God Joshua Cashman is watching the pod right now. I pray to God. Yeah. Hey, you just got to go a little bit lower so we can see Josh's face or even like the little thing he does. Like, I don't, I don't know how. <laughs> this is what yeah, you're Let me crop the photo. I hope you enjoyed while re- I was there. Recrop the photo, Whoa. Cashman's face blown up. This is going to go really well on the audio version of the pod. People have no idea. Just so people that are listening, uh, you can have these virtual backgrounds on our meeting, uh, our, our live meeting that we do here, our pod. And for whatever reason, I'm able to do them. And Nathan and Evan and Jeff are, are just constantly failing whenever they try. So um, I feel like I've succeeded wildly. <laughs> yeah, I think Nathan's got a different set of criteria he's he's using to judge success there. And um and he just had Josh Cashman, Mr. Cable Thanos, um, superimposed in uncomfortable ways. And there goes Evan. I I I I've got to get us back on the rails. We're we're going down the wrong, wrong direction here. Uh <laughs> so uh one of the things we we're going to do, and you know, we talk, we talk about this regularly on the show, but um, we have been growing in leaps and bounds um, with our patrons. And so I want to take a second just to thank the folks who have joined. We're up over 100 patrons. We're closing in on 110 patrons. We actually had uh, a Ring of Honor um, uh, patron join this week, which is huge, huge, huge. Um, Ring of Honor patrons uh, get extra special treatment. Not only do they get the opportunity if they want to um, advertise and promote things, um, uh, like sponsors do, but we have a once a year get together where, you know, we buy, I buy them steak dinner at Daniel's, take out the crew. And we're looking at, at, at scheduling that this year as well. So, um, it's a really, it's a cool group. We get to, to talk last year, uh, brought, you know, Evan and, and Alex came along and, and we had a good time. So, uh, super appreciate, um, everyone that's joining on patreon.com slash one of the things we're going to start trying to do to, to pay back, um, not just creating content, but also helping uh, to answer some of the questions that, that people have is we're going to try to do um, patron questions on the pod. And, uh, and this week, why don't we get started with that? Um, first question we have comes from Keith Stone. Thank you for being a patron, Keith. And he says, can we all chip in a few bucks and get Evan an adult Rashad Penny Jerry's jersey. He looks to have purchased a child version. So okay, okay. What what's the guy's name? Keith Stone. Keith Stone. Let me tell you a little story. NFL jerseys are extremely expensive. Extremely expensive. One hundred dollars minimum. But guess what? There's a market inefficiency in this world. One that you can exploit. A child's youth XL is seventy five dollars pre shipping. And if you're lucky, you'll even get a pre or a free shipping code, you know, if you leave the card or whatever. But an adult small is $100 and it's virtually the same size as the Youth XL. And guess what? If you're trying to wear a form-fitting jersey and not a jersey that hangs to your ankles like a little child, a Youth XL fits most adults very, very well. So I only spent $75 on that Rashad Penny jersey, not $100. And I exploited the market inefficiency. I'm a nerd now. And you just have to respect that. So that's all I have. Uh, 
that is that is a great initial question. You can expect more quality questions like that as we continue. Um, Katie Bourne, uh, thank you, Katie, for being a patron. She asks, what am I not getting about Jermaine Effetti? What value does he bring to the team? And why do they keep him around? Nathan, why don't you, you take that one to start? Um, he started to look better last year. Uh, you, give a little more specifics. Like, what did you think started to look better? Uh, I uh, I think that the penalties were down last year. Um, <clears throat> I think overall he graded out better. Um, I think if you look at PFF and stuff, he 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 was better there. Um, Seattle has typically ranked well in um, pass block win rate, um, and obviously he was a excuse me uh he was a starter um all last year uh he's been incredibly durable for the most part uh good or bad there um he's still young he's very long and large and maybe someday he'll put that to consistent use yeah, I will I'll jump in here and I'm going to try to bring up next gen stats because um there's an interesting thing last week looking at the Seahawks games that you know, I know Nathan was really deep into looking at this particular aspect of the game. Uh I'm sure Ben Baldwin was as well. Um but if you look at where Seattle got their rushing yards last week, um it was almost exclusively off right tackle uh for chris carson 46 of his 60 yards came off of right tackle um i think if i go to rashad penny 35 of his 62 yards came off right tackle that was one right well there's that but he also got 16 yards off of right guard um going to the right side um there's there's a decent amount of of uh, success that the Seahawks have had in past running to the right. Um, and Effetti's part of that. So I think that is part of what they see there. Um, and, you know, I think all of us are frustrated with the fact that he really struggles with penalties. He really struggles with pass protection and he seems pretty limited. And it seems like his ceiling, like, I don't know that he's ever going to become a reliable pass protecting right tackle. So, um, Katie, I think the short answer to your question is all of us feel similarly to the way you feel at this point. Like, I think we'd like to see someone else at that position. And he's on the last year of his rookie deal. They did not pick up his fifth-year option. The Seahawks under Pete Carroll and John Schneider, as far as I know, have never re-signed a player that they didn't pick up their fifth-year option for. Bruce Irvin was another that they didn't do that. So I think this is his last year as a Seahawk, if that makes you feel any better. Okay, next question. Donna Burton. We've got two more questions on patrons, then we'll get into some of the other pieces here. Donna Burton, thank you for being a patron. She asks, do you think, Evan, a long-term plan for continued... Do you think there is a long-term plan for continued development of the offensive line? Dwayne Brown is 34 years old, and DJ Fluker seems to have numerous injuries. As Katie said, what do you think the Hawks plan to do about Jermaine Effetti? So, generally speaking, let's assume that Jermaine Effetti is not coming back next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you do have some older players in the line. W- what's your expectation about how you think the Seahawks are roster planning their offensive line? That's a really good question. I, th- I think we obviously have to start off by stating the obvious that there are 
Um, some players getting older on this offensive line, the whole left side, like you said, Dwayne Brown is 34 years old. Um, Mike Bupati, I don't know how old he is, probably close to 60. He's, he's not young. He's not getting any younger. And he, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not in the NFL in a year or two. Um, Justin Britt is getting up there, believe it or not. He's probably, what, how, do we know how old Justin Britt, is he close to 30? It feels like he might be close to 30. He but is probably not as close to 30 as he think he is. He's 28. Yeah. 28. Okay. Sounds about right. Um, you know, Ifedi has obviously proven not to be a reliable right tackle and somebody that they ultimately didn't, ex- you know, offer their fifth year option on. Um, but to answer that question, I think in a very concise way, I think they, I think right now they don't have a clear line of succession on the offensive line. Like if you asked me right now, who the backup was for left tackle or right tackle, I'd probably say Jamarco Jones for both spots, but I'm not even confident in that answer. So what that means is that they probably will have to address offensive line with high picks um, in upcoming drafts. I just don't, I, I don't think there's any depth there that's significant. Maybe Phil Haynes could be a contributor this year at guard. We'll have to see what he looks like coming back from IR. Um, I just, I, I think the line is definitely getting older and and they need to start targeting that position in the draft for sure. Hey, welcome in uh, Jeff Simmons to the show at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. Hey, dude. Sorry, I'm late, man. No worries. So, so um, on this question, I guess I have a little bit of a different take than Evan. I mean, I think I think Jamarco Jones, the guy they drafted last year, who I think a lot of us are pretty high on, and he can play either tackle's position. I think George Fant, to me, is the obvious successor at right tackle. He basically has played right tackle last year when he was playing tight end. He's on the outside shoulder of Jermaine Effetti. Uh, I think that Phil Haynes is potentially a very viable option to step in and be a starter at guard, one of the guard positions as early as next year. You know, I don't know that DJ Fluker or Mike Upati are um, uh, long-term answers there. I do think Dwayne Brown, the fact that he's 34 is not something that bothers me. I think tackles can play a long time in this league, offensive linemen in general. So I think Dwayne Brown, as long as he wants to play, could be on this line on the left side for another three years. And I don't think that would be a major, major issue. And I don't think they really... In general, the way they do roster planning is they only look three years out. It's, it's pretty rare for NFL um, front offices to, to plan beyond that. So I think he's he's their left tackle for the foreseeable future. Um, Jeff, what I, I, I'll give you the first shot at this next question. This is our last question from patrons. This comes from Silk Monkey. Thank you for being a patron. Uh, is there a world in which another trade whether it's Jalen Ramsey or Jamal Adams makes any kind of sense for the Seahawks barring a Texans style fleecing. I don't see Jamal Adams. I think that's pie in the sky stuff. I think guys like him at the point they are in their contract, just, I don't see them trading him with Ramsey. Like it doesn't really make sense to me. Just in terms of the price they'd have to give up, they have the extra pick from the Frank Clark trade. Even after the Clowney trade, they still have a lot of picks. But just they have cheap, controllable corners, and it really fits well in their roster planning. So I'd be pretty surprised to see them make another big splash. But Black and Forest Report had them in there. I know the Seahawks check in on everyone, and that's why they're linked to pretty much every trade. But I can see Ramsey's a guy that they really like. He fits their swagger kind of, of the players, fits their scheme really well. But to pay another guy 
with Clowney coming up too. I don't see them doing another trade. I think I don't see it happening. It just based on what the price what Jacksonville wants. I know Pete and John can love guys like that, but I think I, I think it's a long shot. Yeah, Nathan. I mean, the, part of this with the the Jamal Adams thing, it, it seems like a. They came out with a report. Someone said that Jamal Adams was unhappy and wanted to trade. And then other more credible reporters said that that wasn't true. He's been on radio and sounded pretty pissed about getting benched this week. So there could be something there simmering, but there's definitely, there's, there's maybe some smoke. It doesn't seem like there's fire there yet, that there's a real option. I think we, all of us would be supportive of them going after Jamal Adams. I mean, he's a game changing safety. He was a sixth overall pick. I think people have to understand that the Seahawks first round pick is like likely in the late twenties. So think about the, what you'd have to trade to move up from like 27 to six in the draft and how many picks you'd have to give up in value. That's well, roughly, probably you what you'd have to give up to get someone like Jamal Adams. I think when the chiefs trade up for Mahomes, they went from about 27 to 10, I think. And it was two first rounders and more. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very costly thing. So I, I think that that's pretty unlikely. But the Jalen Ramsey thing, you know, Jason Lockenfora came out as late as tonight saying that the Seahawks, Eagles, and I think Chiefs, that three teams were were in on Jalen Ramsey as far as they knew. I'm having trouble seeing this one. What is your take on one? Do you think that the Seahawks uh, realistically are going after Jalen Ramsey? And two, if they are, does it make any sense to you? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know that Pete wants to bring another personality like Jalen Ramsey onto the team. Um, they've done a lot to get rid of those guys. Like, obviously, they had a bunch of them, right? And so there's a track record of them and going and getting Marshawns and Sherms. And, you know, I mean, they've had a bunch of personalities on this team. Um, but those guys are all gone and they are all kind of gone unceremoniously. And so, um, like it was just a talent question, then sure. And, and if you look at his contract situation, he's about to get paid, but he has been very good. So that shouldn't be too concerning. Um, cornerback is obviously a very important position. So you're investing wisely there. Um, he's 24. So, you know, all that stuff points to yes, but like between, um, well, and then with him coming up on his last year, his last year will be next year, and then they'll have to pay him. They may be in a situation – it won't be a Connie-type steal, most likely. Uh, but you're not going to be paying through the nose like you would for Adams, probably. Um, but between the personality and – there were reports yesterday that part of the reason he's mad is that he wants to play more man coverage, um, which the simplicity of – you know, Seattle's defense is a little overblown, but, like, they play a lot of cover three. They play a lot of zone. It's not it's not a ton of man. And so if that's really what he's looking for, then, you know, you're probably not starting off on the right foot there. So, yeah. Question, I mean, I mean, Nathan, for you, ahead. actually, Nathan. I just want to follow up on that. Let's say – so just for context from from contractual perspective, the top of the cornerback market right now is $15 million a year. Xavier and Howard with the Dolphins. Say, say a first-round pick, uh, a 2020 – First in a 2021 third gets it done for Jalen Ramsey. And then you're looking at extending him at probably like 17, 18 million dollars a year a year later. Do you do that trade right now? Uh 
I mean, I got to talk to him. Like I, I would have to talk to him. I'd have to feel him out. I'd have to understand, you know, better the situation that he's in there. I, I'd want to know if his man coverage thing is real. Like how much is he assume, trying to assume the coverage thing isn't an issue. We'll only assume the draft compensation and salary expectations are real. That's, I mean, I think you're paying top of the market there, but yeah, I think that's you're, probably- you're beating the market by a couple million dollars. Well, and with the, the 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 compensation, the trade compensation too, right? I think part of this, if you're looking at this with him coming up on the last year of his deal, I think you're hoping that you can kind of twist the Jaguars' arm a little bit on this when you have him a little bit over a barrel. You have some leverage, and so, but like ultimately, just talking about talent, age, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, I think that, that would be reasonable. You're not getting a steal there. You're not getting a deal, but you're getting a hell of a player, right? So, Evan, question for you here. Um, if hypothetically say they pull that Ramsey trade off, could you sign Ramsey and Clowney or is it, does that become a one or the other situation? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, they're totally fine with, with both the real hiccup. Then that comes to mind for me is Jaron Reed. Are they going to extend Jaron Reed? Then it'd be difficult for me to see them paying all three of them. They probably could, but for some reason I have a, I have a hard time seeing them pay those three. And then the, then the logical extension to that question is, are they going to pay Shaquille Griffin? Shaquille Griffin is near the end of his end of his rookie contract. Would Jalen Ramsey be just the upgrade and they'd let Shaq walk? Um, there's a lot of questions, but you know, a lot of extension questions there, but um, long story short, they, they could pay them all if they wanted to. Yeah. There wasn't one of the questions there. Sorry, Jeff. Is, is, well, I, I said, mean, if it was a one or the other, it'd be a fascinating, uh, Thing with the uh, pass rush versus coverage debate yeah well i mean the, the the thing is from like a salary cap perspective 2020 right now that doesn't include clowny on the books we're talking almost 70 million dollars in cap space that's with bobby wagner and russell wilson deals and everything up to this minute so you know yes they can afford him if they wanted to you know i mean there's two things well one i was make a comment and two a question for you guys but I'm I'm surprised to some extent how much that I see reactions even in the chat now about I don't want to get another diva I don't want more drama we just got rid of the drama and I I don't feel that way at all I mean I I think that uh, I think I don't think Pete cares one bit about strong personalities I don't think he feels like he learned some lesson from having Sherm and Doug and you know Earl I think he would do it all over again in a second and hope it goes better so I don't think Pete's worried about that and I'm a little surprised that people are so concerned about it because you know if the great talent comes along with it um you know I, I don't I don't see someone like tearing down the and I, I think maybe I also just don't see that the drama is what drives those teams down <laughs> I think that there's there is injury and talent and, and coordinator and other issues that drag those teams down. Um, I think people just associate the frustration uh, of those teams underperforming with, with uh, you know, the people that were complaining about them underperforming. So I don't know. You guys are welcome to just pipe in on that. But I kind of wanted to turn it to assume for a second that they get him, which I think is a very, very unlikely. But let's assume that they do. Um, and, and assume that they do, despite the fact that Seahawks have never spent more than a third round pick on a cornerback in Pete Carroll and, and Shaquille Griffin was that third round pick. But let's assume that they do. 
Are we all on the assumption that he would come in and replace Trey Flowers? Is that, does anyone feel like he would replace someone else? Probably Flowers. Okay. So, I mean, I don't think he's going to replace Griffin. Um, and he's not going to play nickel. Uh, and you could potentially slide Griffin into nickel, but I doubt they'll do that because he's a better edge corner than, than Trey. So then you basically have Trey either going back in the deal the other way or sitting. Let me flip it on you. I wouldn't be surprised if Shaquille was a part of the trade. And I'll tell you why. Shaquille is nearing the end of his rookie contract. Are they really going to pay money to both him and Jalen? I could see them rolling with paying big money to Jalen and writing out Trey Flowers on that rookie deal. That's interesting. Shaq went to school at UCF, right? In Jacksonville. Why? I don't understand. Like, Trey Flowers to me is kind of like, I mean, he's better than Jacob Martin, but like, it's the same kind of thing, right? Like, Jacob Martin was a nice player. Trey Flowers is a nice player, but we're talking about getting Connie's and Jalen Ramsey's. Like, I'm not going to. Trey Flowers, they'll figure it out. Trey Flowers will figure it out. You get players like Jalen Ramsey, you don't worry about your Trey Flowers, right? Like, that's extremely secondary to me. Yeah, I get that. I don't think Trey Flowers is the guy you plan around. Um, it's like the if you go and get Jamal Jamal Adams, are you worried about Marquise Blair or Lano Hill or McDougal? Like, no, you just go get Jamal Adams. You figure it out. Yeah, that no, I, I definitely agree with that. It, I don't think that Trey Flowers is as much of a problem in their secondary as safety position i mean that that's that's why that's different um but i guess i mean the, the question i was kind of getting to assuming that he replaced trey flowers how much better do you think that makes seattle like how, like obviously he's a really good corner um what do you think that does to seattle's chances if they add a player like that i mean ramsey has been arguably the best corner in the game at times, or he's at least deserving of being in the conversation at times. Um, Ramsey's been up and down too. So like, that's something to consider. Um, but when he's on, he's spectacular. And so, um, you know, whatever comes of those other corner positions, like you're just pushing every, you're likely, if you're not including Trey or Griffin in the, in the deal, you're likely just pushing everybody in and adding, you know, an elite talent. And so I would expect that to, really improve them i mean that's 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 a huge deal jeff what's your take i mean how does your feelings change around the seahawks if they had jalen ramsey i think it it's i think the probably their biggest weakness on the team other than probably their pass protection right now is just playmakers in the secondary and it upgrades probably their biggest weakness and if you can keep tedrick off the field and upgrade a corner it's it might maybe adds a win or two, but it, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And the Seahawks are weak in the secondary, and the good passing teams can attack them. So adding a playmaker at that position makes a big difference. But I think the way for this team to win truly might be offense. And I think maybe if you're going to trade, maybe you look at receiver. I know that might not be popular, but I, I can't I can't complain if they're upgrading at their biggest weak spot. So. You're, you're, wait a second. You think that they should be trading to add a receiver? I think that's one position I think I can, they can upgrade. If they can get a third receiver in this group. Even with David Moore coming back, 
Wow. Yeah, I think that's where I would want to upgrade. That blows my mind, especially that's really with surprising season. I know. I think it, I think the name out there is AJ Green, right? Like that's the guy that people talk about when they talk about trading for a receiver. And it's nothing against David Moore. I really like David Moore, but imagine how good this offense could be with like a another receiver in this. I think that's the way they can just beat any team. And I think all the all the analytics people like that. Uh, we can't afford AJ Green by a mile. Yeah, it's probably not going. I, I uh, Pete's not trading for another receiver. This isn't happening. This is my fantasy world. Don't they, oh, don't they have a ton of space right now? Uh, no, they have like just shy of ten mil. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I. I. Uh, anyway, I, I'm. I'm. I'm shocked by that. I'm gonna. <laughs> That's I'm my. Gonna let it go because it's just like, it's like I feel like everything. The receiver position is one of their like strongest and cheapest positions. I don't know why you go from a young developing group to an expensive group like i'm not saying they should i'm just saying if that's an area that i would love to have just a dominant offense yeah yeah well let's talk about that because i don't think they're i don't think they're that far from getting there so um all right let's 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 break out you know enough jalen ramsey a lot of a lot of folks um you know we want to talk about the team how the team's playing so um you know, we had the, the post-game show, Nathan and I haven't really heard from Evan and Jeff. Like, what were your what were your reactions? Uh, let's start with you, Evan, um, to the Seahawks game this weekend against the Steelers. Who was the best running back on the field on Sunday? They were all Rashad Penny. <laughs> it was Rashad Penny. That cut, that juke was elite. That was stupid impressive and super, super cool to see from Rashad. But I think um, overall, I think uh, actually Trey, Pla- Trey Flowers actually ended up grading super well per pro football focus in week two. I don't know if you guys saw that. He had like a top 20 um, corner grade. He did pretty well in coverage. It was like 72. They rated him or something like that. Um, uh, a 72.0 grade. Um I think uh, the one disappointing aspect of the game was obviously the Chris Carson fumbles, especially on that, you know, within the 10 yard line, you know, in fourth quarter, that's something I know that Carson has struggled with throughout his career, not just in the NFL, but in college too. Um, he's got to be able to, you know, hold on to the rock. And, and he, he sort of redeemed himself on that fourth and one. But I, I think the overall takeaway for me was that up-tempo offense in the second half was sexy as hell. Russell Wilson was getting the ball out in like 1.7 seconds, you know, the fastest game in the past three years since 2016 or some stat from Brady Henderson, like, like that offense looked good. And for Pete Carroll to say, you know, post game, or I think it was on Monday on Brock and sock. Um, he was like, that is something that up, up tempo offense is something that we need to continue. That was super encouraging because if they can just continue that up-tempo offense, you know, the balance of the run and pass, that's totally fine. But, you know, pass pro has been super, super rough. And if Russell Wilson is getting the ball out and striking, you know, the, his receivers really quickly, that offense works. And it worked on Sunday against the Steelers. So hopefully they continue that. Hopefully we see a productive offense this Sunday against the Saints. But um, it was a fun game for sure. How did you feel about Jason Myers' performance? Okay, everybody gave him shit for missing the 58-yard field goal, but, like, the longest f- field goal in 
Heinz Field history is 52 yards. So everybody's got to chill the hell out. It's difficult to kick in Pittsburgh. It's hard to kick at. Oh, the excuses are starting so in, early. In, in terms of kicks Whoa, that matter, far. in terms of in terms of kicks that matter, Jason Myers is 100. percent Extra points. He's not made Does a single. One? He has not missed. That's, those are the ones that matter. The extra points. Yeah, they do. Do they not matter? Points? Do they not? Do they? Do they not result in points on the board? Field goals. He missed a field goal that would have resulted in points on the board. It was almost sixty yards on Heinz Field. Uh, look, if you pay a kicker, he better make some kicks. Yeah, something uh, impressive. Uh, What's the okay. Best kicker, Pro Bowler. Show you me pay. Something. You pay Russell Wilson, so he better be throwing ninety-yard touchdowns every game. That's not how it happens. It just doesn't. That's a ridiculous take. Jason Myers has started off this season really well. My hot take is that kickers should make field goals. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Heinz Field. I don't know. Some of us are happy with just extra points. It was, it was long it was enough. You just standard, missed it. You know, you got to take the L on that one. Um, Jeff, what about you? What well, I mean, the the, the the offense and the way the offense, the play calling that had this, that had to register for you. I, I, you know, oh yeah, I think that was the most encouraging game from a process standpoint that the Seahawks had probably since the 2015 season. And Brian, you should give yourself credit because you brought this up last week with the conversation of what do they do when the deep passing game is not working? It's not going to the run; it's passing differently, and that's what they did. And I think Pete had maybe his most encouraging game from a number of standpoints, kind of letting Shotty go back to that quick passing game, going for it on fourth and one instead of taking that long field goal. I was thrilled they did that. Uh, it's Heinz Field's a hard place to kick. A 48-yard field goal, even with a great kicker. If they kicked that field goal, I would have been really, really nervous. I was very happy they went for it. I think that's I think that's the smart decision. I thought Pete that's had a really good kicker situation right now. <laughs> Proven to be untrustworthy so far, so you just got to go for it on fourth down. Well, yeah, yeah, I think you go for a fourth down, any kicker. What? Why? Why are we giving Jason Myers so much shit when he was a Pro Bowler last year? Well, like, it's funny if you read the Jets writers, they freak out. Chris Weston is like the eighth best kicker in the league today. They're like the Jets are like struggling for bottom of the barrel kickers. Zero percent. He's made no field goals. He's also attempted one. Maybe yeah, poor, small sample size, Nathan. Come on, didn't you learn math? Zero, zero. Okay, anyway, back to what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was the second half of that game where they went touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. That was – and we said it last week. We were talking about – I think it was Evan. Like, how do they get back to the 2015 offense? That looked like it, where Russell was just getting the ball out. Nathan wrote the article on it this week. So I just congratulate all of you somehow. Um, they're getting the ball out instantly and like the passes to disley were unbelievable that looked like it was just a different looking offense and if they're just they weren't beating their heads against their wall and passing on that last drive in the fourth quarter to open up those drives that was so unpeed and shoddy like that was really encouraging against because that d-line was just eating them up all game so i thought just from a process standpoint that was really really encouraging because that's the way I think they have to win because they're not going to be a great pass protecting team with you potty and with Brit and with but you know the, look, hold on a second i want to i want to poke on that because this is a point yeah. i've been making for years and i'm not the only one but like everyone's like wow how do how do the patriots do it every year where they they don't give up sacks and they have all these piecemeal offensive linemen and everyone 
they got two guys on IR now and like, you know, they're missing guys and somehow they don't still, it's because Tom Brady gets rid of the ball in 2.3 seconds every year. And he's, he's hitting his hot reads. He's making, he knows where he's going to go with the ball. And it's very hard to get to him. He's not mobile. He's certainly not avoiding those sacks, but he's in the pocket. And, and those offensive linemen generally aren't having to do nearly as much as when you're a Seahawks offensive lineman and you're having to block a player for three plus seconds or block a player when your quarterback is 10 yards deep instead of five to seven yards deep. Um, you know, those are tough and, and it is a tougher job in those situations. And I don't think the offensive linemen are particularly good. So it all compounds itself. And yeah. what it looked like in that game in Pittsburgh is not only, not only were, did Russell do a great job in the second half of identifying the blitzes and the coverages and the protections and getting rid, you know, he was getting rid of the ball. There was no way he was going to get sacked. You could have had Jamarcus Webb in there and you still would likely not be giving up sacks when you're getting rid of the ball. What's that? He got sacked four times. Yeah, the most not in the second half. Running the offense this way. Not when he was getting running it that different. Like, Two of the sacks were on rest, and those were the very first two first sacks of the game. I mean, one was a misprotection, so you can put that on him. I mean, if you want, I, I don't, I don't know. Pete did, so give it to him. So, like, but they were still running a quicker offense in the first half. They didn't change all that much from one half to the next. I mean, we we've seen Russ get the ball out a lot quicker so far this year, and he's on pace to be sacked sixty four times. His, his career high was 51. Yeah. So, like, not a good so, passer. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. The, the, I mean, sacks are at least partially, if not primarily, a QB stat. But there are situations where, you know, offensive linemen are just, I mean, offense, the offensive line can create sacks too. And of so course, you have to put six of the eight on the offensive line. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I think, I think we're, we are, I think where we're saying same thing, but saying it differently is they might've had, I mean, Pete was pretty clear. The game plan was not changed. Although they did mention that Shadi found some things at halftime and made adjustments uh, and helped Russ find those. And Russ was much more on his game in the second half in terms of identifying where the blitzers were coming from and where to go with the hot reads. He just seemed more in command and more confident. So that's a change, whether the offensive game plan changed is different, but he was not getting rid of the ball quickly in the first half in the first quarter at least at, at the same pace as he was afterwards so again the point is if you're going to hold the ball for two and a half plus seconds your chances of being sacked are higher I, mean, I think that's irrefutable and so you know that was it was good to see I think the thing that people haven't talked about as much and I think you were alluding to this Jeff is I, I was doing the math on my phone as a driving so sorry for that but I might have been wrong I think I think the Seahawks passed on um first down in you know neutral script situations first couple quarters of the game first three quarters of the game 54 percent of the time so they passed on first down 54 percent of the time in that game and i think that's another difference right we've talked about um also passing more i was obviously talking about passing differently we've also talked about changing their script a little bit in terms of when they pass and, and we saw that in this game, they came out and they were passing on first down quite a bit. So, you know, I thought that was important to call out. And 
Look, you know, it is an unpopular opinion, but I don't mind. It is my opinion, so I'm going to stick with it. I believe Shoddy came out last year fully with the expectation of being a heavier pass offense than than they ended up being. And I think Pete got scared off of the first two games of what those results were and, you know, pushed him back to, to the run game. And we can argue about whether that was a good call or not, but I think that's how it happened. And now I think that you're seeing Shoddy win some of these arguments, get a little bit more trust from Pete, and now also showing some results. If he can string another game or two together of this, I think we are going to see a significantly different offensive approach this year than what we saw last year. And I think everybody, including folks on this podcast, believed it was impossible for Pete to adapt and for Shoddy to be the one that drove that adaptation. So I think that's a pretty important call out. It hasn't happened yet. We've seen some evidence, so we can't like call it, you know, mission accomplished yet. But I think there's some pretty strong evidence to point in that direction that, that that's where they're headed. I mean, it's fair. Uh, they, they ran a lot in week one. Um, but all of the indicators so far this season, I think, are, are pretty positive. Um, and it's fair that they, you know, they came out and they passed a lot the first two games of last year, too. Now, if you're trying to give Pete credit for adapting, if you had an offensive coordinator who came out, was wanting the season to go a certain way, and after two bad games, you know, got squashed. I don't know that's credit to Pete really. So we'll see how long this lasts, but I, I do think it's fair. I think that uh, Shadi deserves some credit, um, he, especially in the Pittsburgh game. I think he did a lot of the stuff that people have wanted him to do. Um, and so he definitely deserves, um, that was actually the one thing that I was kind of bummed about in my, the post that I wrote is that I, I should have been more congratulatory of, of Shadi and given him more credit uh, for the, the change. I think, the big thing is Russell and him doing it. And a lot of people doubted that he could do it, but a lot of people doubted that Shadi would ever let him too. And, and he certainly did. So. Evan, you've been pretty hard on Pete and you've been pretty hard on Shadi as well. I mean, are you ready to give credit where it's due or what do you need to see to believe that this is real, a real change? Yeah. I mean, it's a small sample size. It's definitely encouraging. I'm optimistic about it, um, but let's see it continue. You know, this is two games out of, almost a decade of Pete Carroll football. So let's see what happens. We'd yeah. love to see it against the Saints game this this weekend. Yeah, I think all of us would. Um, and it was interesting. I don't know, if people did not listen to the Pete Carroll show on Brock and Salk on Monday, highly, highly recommend they listen to that podcast. Um, and uh, also a quick shout out to Brock and Salk. Uh, they're, they're ending their show and they're going to a weekly podcast. They're trying to follow our lead, I think. Um, it's pretty clear. They know that we're going to come on with us instead on Mondays. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, um, anyway, it's a great interview. Um, uh, and Pete mentioned that on the flight home, the coaches were talking about, yeah, that felt like 2015. It's interesting to me that the coaches, I mean, we all talk about the second half of 2015 a lot and how the Seahawks offense felt really different back then. And the interesting thing to me is, Nathan, I don't know, and Jeff, I don't know how much you guys watched the tape. I got the feeling that the Steelers were playing zone, and there's a lot of, like, kind of, like, stick routes that they were running and, and finding holes in that zone for these quick passes. In 2015, it was a lot of man, and it was a lot of rub routes with Tyler and Doug, like, running off of each other. So it was different concepts, but same general result. It, am, I, am I right? Do you guys have 
a different point of view on that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, what one of the places that we should be cautious with looking at this Pittsburgh game and and like, you know, crowning them as having evolved or whatever, um, is Blitzburg Blitz or Blitzburg Pittsburgh. <laughs> uh blitzes a lot um and uh the blitzberg thing i was listening to i think one of carol's interviews before the game and somebody asked him like does does pittsburgh still like deserve that moniker of blitzberg and he was saying yeah absolutely they definitely do and so you know they you know historically they do a ton of the zone blitz stuff and and so i think that's fair and so you know i don't think that they're gonna see um that every week and so they may not approach these games the same way, right? They, they may have rolled this out as something special just for Pittsburgh. And, and who knows what they'll try to do if they, if they won't go back to their, their tried and true um, against like New Orleans and some of the other teams. Yeah. I think my other takeaway from back to your question before, Brian, I think Seattle's 0-2 if they don't have DK Metcalf. Mm. DK when DK made the game-winning play in Pittsburgh and in Cincinnati, he made three or four massive plays, and that was a tight. I think that's a crazy takeaway for a 21-year-old guy who a lot of people are unsure how they're going to contribute. We're talking about Super Bowl, but if they don't have DK, I think they're arguably 0 too. So it, that's been super encouraging. There were definitely some highly critical and skeptical bald people on this podcast too. Of DK Metcalf. Who's that, Brian? No, that's that's you, Nathan. Notorious DK Metcalf hater. It's great to see his start to the season. This is uh, this is this bodes well for his uh, his future relationship. I, I was shocked when I looked up after the game that of all twenty-one-year-old receivers, uh, you know, in the NFL in history, there's only been three other players that have had 150 yards and one TD in their first two games. And it was Randy Moss. It was Amari Cooper. And it was DeAndre Hopkins. Hmm. And now it's DK Metcalf. It's now four. That's, I mean, Nathan, you talked about at the beginning of the season, if he got in the 700-yard range and he's 21, there's not a lot of guys on that list. And it's that looks Randy like a Moss pretty is safe in- bet right now. I mean, yeah. assuming he stays healthy. Yeah, and, and the guys that are in that 700 yards at age 21 or better, you know, it's it's the Randy Mosses and DeAndre Hopkins, right? So, yeah, I mean, uh, I was definitely skeptical of what DK could do because, like, what he is doing is not completely unprecedented, um, but it's fair to say it's historic. And so, uh, yeah, like – I think part of it is I just I hope people appreciate like obviously he's a rookie he's a ton of fun he's this monster right um, people want to talk about Julio and the Calvin Johnson comps and all that um, and my thing had always kind of been one I was just a little skeptical uh, which I know is rare for me but um, like like let's not ruin this guy let's not come in with these huge expectations like. Or if you do, at least like recognize how big the expectations you have for him are. And so far, he's living up to that. And like, I hope people aren't just like, well, this is what he's supposed to do. Like, no, this isn't what 21-year-old receivers are supposed to be doing. This is like crazy, impressive stuff. And so, uh, yeah, it's awesome. It's really cool. 
Yeah, I mean, there was a great Football Outsiders article for folks that didn't read it any given Sunday um, that went into the Steelers-Seahawks game, and they talked specifically about DK Metcalf. And they were calling out something I've noticed. I mean, next-gen stats and other places show separation for all the receivers, and DK Metcalf is not getting separation. So on one hand, you can say, like, yeah, all the haters are right about his ability to run routes, and he's not able to create separation. But – the other side is what I kind of noticed in training camp. And we talked about it on this show was when I like, I was like with my own eyes, I was like, all right, this guy's going to be good. I'm not as worried. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need separation. A cornerback can be right on him and he's able to use his body to create space. And he's got ridiculous hands guys. That first catch he made. And a low one. That was an insane catch. Like back shoulder ended up being back ankle. Right. And he, you know, he's made a number of contested catches in both of these games. And given how Russ puts the ball on his receivers, you know, that makes him kind of unguardable if, if that's how it ends up playing. And the only time people were giving him crap about he didn't fight for the ball on some of the back shoulder incompletions, those are actually bad throws by Russ. And I'm not saying that because Russ, Russ played a phenomenal game. He was like the best player on the field, no doubt. But he, those, those back shoulder throws are supposed to go to the outside to the sideline so the receiver can actually get the position. They were in the inside shoulder right into the defender, and DK was having to try to go after him. So he, those are just bad throws. Um, you know, um, Very, very few of what Russell did was bad, but those were not good throws. So when he's been given a chance, he's making the play. So I just – that was part of that article is they're like, hey – he may not be guardable, even if he's even if he's not getting the safe separation. So it's pretty interesting. Um, I think that's a great call out, Jeff. Um, uh, unfortunately, I would also call out the first round pick played in that game. Mm. He did not look very good, guys. LJ Collier looked like crap. Yeah, but listen, you said it. This is training camp for him. It is. I did not see a lot of physical – like, I didn't see anything that made me think, oh, he's just shaking the rust off. He looked slow and uninteresting as an athlete. So hopefully he will get – maybe it's a Rashad Penny situation and maybe he will work himself into shape and look twitchier and whatever. My gut is we're not going to see something interesting from LJ Collier until next year if, if he's capable of it. We'll find out. But that was – for me, that was a pretty disappointing debut. I'll tell you why I'm okay with that. In my little fantasy world, I switched the picks of Collier and DK Metcalf. And I, and I just think the Seahawks took Metcalf in the first round. And based off of Metcalf's you know, production, if he had been selected where Collier was selected, we'd be freaking ecstatic right now. If Collier was selected where Metcalf was selected, we might be a little bit more okay with it. So that's how I rationalize it. (laughs) You can rationalize it that way, but you can't, you can't give me crap about being skeptical of DK when your boy, John Schneider passed on him, not once and not just for LJ Collier, but for another dude who's third on the depth chart behind Tedrick Thompson and Lano Hill. So I wasn't the only one that was a little skeptical of what DK could do. No, John wasn't skeptical at all. He just knew other teams were going to pass on him. And uh-huh. he was going to be there at 64. Uh-huh. He knew he was Calvin Johnson, but also knew he was going to get to the bottom of the second round. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. correct. 
Exactly. By the way, my my current my current like mental comp for DK is Des Bryant. That that's who he he reminds me of so far. I think that's probably that's probably it's a ceiling. Sure, that's fair. Yeah, I'm not saying he is Des Bryant, but that's that's the way he plays. You know, he doesn't remind me of Calvin Johnson at all. I, I don't think that's a reasonable comp. Um, I want to see him with his uh, with with. I want to see him running with the ball. He hasn't had a ton of opportunities to do that. Like, but I think he's I mean, been tackled that's, immediately. Yeah, I mean, he's he's looked pretty good. I think he in the Bengals game he had that like early slant where he got really good separation and then looked a little dangerous. I'd like to see some more of that. Like, mm-hmm. I'd like to see him like Julio uh, at the end of that game last week. Like, I'd like I'd love to see him get an opportunity like that and just see what happens. Because you saw him like just truck that guy in the Steelers game, right? Like that was fun. And it yeah. feels like there's gonna be one of those where again there's gonna be a guy right on him and he's just gonna like throw him off and yeah. just keep keep running. And that 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 that's a good point. That's gonna be fun. Um all right so uh let's 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 transition and talk about this game coming up with the Saints. Uh no Drew Brees uh likely facing um Teddy Bridgewater uh and then there's a chance Taysom Hill, you know, at, at quarterback, and there's some question there. And those are very different quarterbacks with very different can, capabilities. Pause. Can we talk about Taysom, Taysom Hill, whatever his name is? I have no idea who this guy is, and I keep hearing him, his name. Can somebody give me, like, the 30-second debrief on this guy? Tim Tebow. No, that is not a fair comp, right? No. He's more talented than Tim Tebow as a passer. So was he, like, a really good college quarterback? No. No, he wasn't. No, but he's, he's a Tebow. Like, I mean, I think Tebow, like that kind of thing, is actually pretty fair. Like, he's uh, he's a quarterback who can kind of throw. Like, but he's making a living off of being a big dude who can run and catch balls over the middle and, and do some of that trickeration type stuff. How long has he been in the NFL for? I didn't realize this. He's like he's a couple years older than Teddy Bridgewater. Is that right? I'm just saying things that I have not fact checked, but I heard that. On a podcast, Jason Hill. Why? That's all. Twenty-nine uh, years not, old. You're right. He's only so been he's been in the league for years. a little bit. Then. Uh, yeah. Apparently, yeah. That's wild. Yeah, I mean, he came into. The, oh, yeah. He was on. Yeah, that was what. Yeah, so he's only been in the league since 2017. Um. I think he's a better passer than than Tim Tebow. Uh, I think that's Tebow. Tebow was, was a more talented than passing quarterback. What has Taysom Hill ever done to show that he's any good at passing the ball? Like, I Did mean, you watch him in preseason this year. I mean, he 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 made throws in preseason that Tim Tebow will never make. I wouldn't. I wouldn't discount Tebow's talent. Talent wasn't physical. Talent wasn't Tebow's problem. Oh man, watching him throw the football is really painful. Um. Yeah, I mean, he's he, but he is Evan. I mean, he's played receiver, he's played H back, um, tight end, you know, he's quarterback, he's done all that stuff for them, and he's been a playmaker, um, wherever he's he's been. And sometimes he's gotten Saints fans really frustrated because they'd be in the red zone and they'd take Drew Brees out and put Taysom Hill in at quarterback. Whoa, so he could potentially see a lot of playing time on Sunday, he could. And and Sean Payton, you know, is playing doing some gamesmanship, and he's like, Someone asked him today about how does it change knowing that Taysom Hill is your number two? And he's like, who said he's my number two? Um, or you're assuming he's my number two. 
Pete Carroll, interestingly, is like, yeah, we're expecting Teddy Bridgewater. We're, we're prepped for Teddy Bridgewater. I wouldn't expect Pete to be that forthcoming, but like, if it is Taysom Hill, <laughs> you're gonna see Pete with these like, whoa, didn't <laughs> you know? Like we did not plan of, for that. This seems like a case of two ki- two coaches just blatantly lying to me. <laughs> it's probably these guys are just bullshitting. So, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you you've got you you the one quarterback you're not going to see on Sunday is Drew Brees, and that's a pretty big deal. They have a great offensive line. They have Michael Thomas is their only good receiver, at, at, as far as I can see. A lot of the other guys are hurt or you know um, not even playing. You got Alvin Kamara, um, you know, obviously a, a stud there. Latavius Murray. And then you got Cameron Jordan. They've got the number one pass rush in the NFL. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, you know, they've got four or five guys that are creating a lot of pass pressure. And guess who Cameron Jordan is going to be lined up opposite? Is it Jermaine Fetty? It is Jermaine Fetty. Jermaine I Fetty. That's a that's a that's a pretty brutal matchup for for the Seahawks. Um, but you also have storylines like Ziggy Ansah coming back this week. You've got David Moore coming back this week. Pete confirmed David Moore's planning to play. And it sure seems like Puna Ford's going to come back this week. So, um, Jeff, let's start with you. I mean, w- w- what are you looking for in this game? And, and uh, yeah, w- what are you expecting to see? Um, I, think, I think what I'm looking for is just a couple of things. One, I want to see that what we saw in the second half in terms of the passing game or maybe the entire game entirely, that carries over to an extent, and that they're able to move the ball effectively, pass more on first down, be more aggressive, and somehow also find a way to incorporate some deep passing as well. So I'd like to see that. Defensively, I'd like to see the pass rush get going a little bit. Uh, I was really encouraging early in the game. They were all around Ben, but Mason Rudolph was way too comfortable back then. It kind of faded a bit in the second half. I know Pittsburgh's got a pretty good offensive line, and so does the Saints. The Saints have one of the best offensive lines in the league. So I'm interested to see how Anso looks, what that does for Clowney, what that does for some of the other pass rushers. I'm just excited to see what this defensive line looks. Because if you, if you guys read our group chat last week, we were pretty nervous about what the defensive line was going to look last game. And they held up okay for the most part. Clowney was pretty quiet in the second half of the game. They didn't give him really anything from Collier or Green. But at home's a different animal. They're a much better pass rushing team there. Jefferson's looked okay this year. Puna's supposed to come back. So really those are the two areas I'm most interested in. Uh, Evan, what what are you – how are you expecting this game to play out? Like what, where do you think the Seahawks are going to, uh, you know, have advantages? Where do, you, where do you feel like you're a little nervous the Seahawks might, might be in for more than they're expecting? Yeah, I'm a little – so we're all hyped off of the Steelers game and how the offense looked and everything like that and Russell Wilson's, you know, quick release time. But the Saints game to me is a game where we should win by a lot because Drew Brees isn't playing and Teddy Bridgewater isn't good. But this will be an extremely frustrated Seahawks game with a low-scoring game. I wouldn't be surprised if it was 20-10 to 10 or 20-13. to 13. I don't know if that's low-scoring, I guess, but – Either way, I don't think it's going to be a blowout like maybe some fans are hoping for because Drew Brees is out. Um, I think this offense does match up actually fairly well against them. I think um, I think they're going to have a lot of opportunities. I don't I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is going to move the ball down the field a lot. I don't think they're going to 
own the time of possession. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see how Russell Wilson matches up against these corners too. Um, they've got, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on that. Marcus Lattimore. Exactly. He's, he's a pretty solid corner. He's been in the league for a couple of years. They've got Eli Apple on the other side who's decent. Um, it'll be interesting, but I, I really think the matchup of the game is our offense and their defense. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. They've actually um, been struggling quite a bit at, in the secondary so far this year. Um, and they lost one of their, their middle linebacker. They put on IR, Anzalone, I think mm-hmm. is his last name. Um, and their linebackers are a little thin. Uh, their defensive line is pretty damn good. Um, Nathan, I don't know about you, but I, I felt like Jadavian Clowney was not much of a factor in the in the Steelers game. I don't think after the first quarter of the Bengals game, I don't know that he's been that much of a factor. How much do you th- expect Ziggy Ansah to play? Like, how do you expect them to use him? How much do you think he'll play? And how much do you think that could potentially impact how Jadavian Clowney plays? Um, I mean, I think getting Ziggy out there is going to be huge because, you know, we talked about this before the trade, or, or I talked about it anyways, that uh, Clowney isn't an elite pass rusher necessarily. He doesn't um, generate a ton of pressure. Um, but what he is is just kind of just a wrecking ball. He's a tornado. Um, and so offensive linemen have to pay attention to him. Um, he He's – he just demands double teams um, like their Oh crap, double teams where a guard realizes like that the tackle just can't handle them and has to come off of them and stuff like that. And, and there's just not a lot of players right now. Like Quentin Jefferson is, is playing really well. And I think it's probably partly because he's uh, got Clowney alongside of him now. Um, and so if you now add uh, onset to that on top of how cute Jeff is playing on, on top of the disruption that Clowney creates, um, you could really start to see that that turn into um, some sacks, a bunch of pressures, right? Right now, you're just really kind of counting on uh, Clowney and uh, and QJF, which is I love QJF, but it's probably not great that he's probably your second best pass rusher right now. Yeah, I mean, we definitely seen Clowney get doubled pretty much every snap, at least from what I was seeing, and that's going to be tougher when you've got someone on the other side i am really really curious to see how they play them this weekend like part of me expects that they're not going to play play ziggy onsa and base defense that he will be their nickel a nickel pass rusher that comes in and um their base defense will continue to be you know clowny and pick someone else um on on the outside um but we'll see uh I mean, one of the things that I would look for is not who's on the other side, but who is he next to? And and by that, I mean, like, we, we talked about this a little bit, and it's been talked about by a bunch of people that um, Connie can be really, really disruptive, um, standing up over A-gaps, um, almost like a, a three-tech in those nickel situations. And so um, if Ansa gets some run in base, it'll probably be opposite of Connie on the, on the other tackle. Um, but if he's used, you know, strategically, which I think he probably will be just to save him a little bit and work him into it, I would be expecting to see those guys next to each other quite a bit. Um, just because of that same thing I was talking about, like Clowney is such a disruptor that you put him, you put those two next to each other and you are just going to give, you're going to create nightmares for that, those couple offensive linemen that have to deal with that. 
Yeah, and we did see him stand up in the Pittsburgh game. There was a number of times he was over the guards and and moving around like that. So that that <laughs> I would be pretty freaking excited to watch that uh, uh, and see what happens for sure. Jeff, um, you feel free to comment on that, but but uh, I, I'm. I'm pretty interested in seeing David Moore come back. Now you made the wide receiver comment before, but like one, I thought Malik Turner looked really good last week. You know, he did what I I've expected him to do. Nathan and I uh, did like an air five on that one, but um, you know, I, I still think that people don't, I think people think David Moore is a bad player, like that. He's not an addition to this team. I don't think people remember what he did for five games. And, and I'm kind of curious, like, what are your expectations of how he would play and, you know, how, how he'd be used um, coming back? That's a good question because they were definitely using Tyler Lockett a little bit differently. He was playing. I liked, I really liked how they used him last week. I thought he was more of like a intermediate player, not just relying on a deep ball. I think more just going to open up the downfield passing game a lot. Cause that was when he was going well, like that Rams game last year, the lions game, the Raiders game, he really stretches the field, and he's got good speed. He's a big guy. When I was saying before they need to upgrade receiver, that, that wasn't a shot on Moore. I'm just trying to picture an offense with, like, three studs, kind of like what the Rams have. Moore's a good player. And Moore fade in the second half last year. But, again, like, he took a big step last year. He was a really raw player coming out of, what, East Central University or something like that. And he was just kind of a practice squad guy most of the first year. So he did take a step forward in the second half of the year. His numbers dropped pretty dramatically. but. I thought there was a lot to work with there. And I thought I was really excited about him as a player coming into the season. So I think mostly he can be used as an outside guy. If Lockett's going to play more of the slot role, more of the inside guy. And with him and Lockett stretching the field, it, it just opens up stuff for Disley and for Metcalf potentially. And you saw it in that Rams game in Seattle last year, that he can stretch the field and get that deep passing game going, which they can add that to the quick game. This could be a really, really good passing game. Yeah, I, I did find it. I got a little bit of a chuckle out of Pete Carroll saying that he was disappointed that they haven't found a way to get the ball to Jerome Brown yet. Uh, <laughs> he's got zero targets after two games. And what, three blocking in the back penalties? <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, can we, like, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like, David Moore comes back. I, I, I want to see David Moore, DK Metcalf, and Ty Lockett on the field as his three, three receivers. I think that that challenges the defense in a way that it just isn't with, with John Brown. And, and as much as I think of Malik Moore, uh, Turner, Malik Turner. Thank you. Malik Moore. Player on the team. Yeah, I totally had a brain freeze there. Uh, he's not, he's not David Moore in terms of a, a deep threat. And, and so I think you've seen a lot of um, vertical concepts from Brian Schottenheimer and adding David Moore to that, I think gives them, you know, another potential big play target. So I think he's a bigger addition than people realize. Uh, and, and it might, it might need more opportunities for DK. That's fine too. It's weird that, uh, oh, go ahead. I think you should frame that tweet you once had that said, we spend way too much time talking about Jerron Brown. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it is. It's embarrassing. He has 19 <laughs> targets in 19 games for this team. It's too bad that everyone's not here because was freaking out when they cut him. And it's just like, why? Like, they don't, like, they don't use him. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. If, you, if you've had 19 games to, like, and you want to get the 
the guy the ball and you still can't, I don't think you want to give him the ball that bad. Like, or and if you do, you probably shouldn't be. Like, it can't be that hard to give him the ball. Yeah. There's space on that wall. You should frame that tweet. <laughs> That's got to be one of your best ever. It, it's, it's funny. Uh, you know, I, I'm seeing still questions in the chat. And it's one of the first few questions I'm still seeing now. Like, why isn't John Arsua getting, you know, more snaps? He actually got two reps in this game for what it's worth. But, didn't we do this? Isn't isn't Ursula so people are mad about more in the chat and like whatever? Yeah, he caught 49% of his balls last year. He had a rough stretch. Fine. Like, I don't need you to love David Moore. But we, we did this, right? David Moore is younger than John Ursula, right? Yes. Okay, so why is everyone well what I don't get is like people people will give a lot of guys a ton of credit for like their youth and their potential and, and whatever. And yeah, David Moore is almost a year younger than, is that right? Yes. He yeah. is uh, two days short of a year younger than John Ursua. And everyone's losing their mind. Like, oh, got to get Ursua on the field. Like, man, I don't know. Maybe David Moore's going to take a step. This dude's pretty talented. Like, yeah. I don't know. Ursua will probably see the field after some injuries, maybe after they finally get around to cutting Brown. Uh, but yeah, be excited about more. Like, if you if you if you want to get excited about some potential, you can be excited about Ursula, but be excited about David Moore too. Yeah, I mean, he's 24 years old, as you said, and um, I'm gonna go do a quick search real quick while I set this up for you guys. But um, uh, Ursula, he's not gonna play this year unless there's injuries. I, I don't know why people think otherwise. I've seen people even say like, hey, you know, maybe. He, Maybe he can be better in the slot than Tyler. I'm like, I, no. I mean, Tyler is going to be there, he, and Tyler's not going anywhere, and he's going to get all the snaps. I like John Ursua. It's not that I hate John Ursua or anything like that, but the same way I said that Jazz Ferguson was had zero chance to make this roster, and guess what? He had zero chance to make this roster, and now he has zero chance to even be on the practice squad. He got cut. It's just, I mean, there's no need for John or Sua right now. And if the, and, and frankly, if there was a need, that'd be a pretty bad sign for the Seahawks. Um, that something was going really wrong. So, you know, I think, I think that, uh, I think that uh, people should not expect to see John or Sua on the field anytime soon. Um, okay, let's get some quick predictions. Um, Nathan, let's start with you. What are you expecting the score to be in this game? Uh, I don't know. I'm starting to hate predictions. I have no. <laughs> I was actually pretty close uh, last week. I just had it backwards. Um, I had the Seahawks losing. Um, I, I really think that this is going to be. I mean, the the Seahawks. Pete tends to want to score as many points, like just enough points, to win. Um. And I really don't know what to make of the Saints offense. So usually I just kind of figure out what I think the other team will score and then try to figure out, add a couple points, subtract a couple points, whether I think Seattle's going to lose. Um, home game. I'm really solemn here. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go against the grain on that though. I'll, I'll go 30 to 20 Seahawks. I think that they might win pretty big on this one. I think there could be some turnovers and stuff that really swing this game. Okay, I'm going to interrupt for a second because I did this search really quick. Um, Seahawks receivers in franchise history that are 23 or younger 
and have had five or more touchdowns in their first two seasons. David Moore, Tyler Lockett, Corin Robinson, Daryl Jackson, Brian Blades, Daryl Turner, and Steve Largent. It's a good list, guys. I mean, Corin Robinson had some other problems off the field, but he was damn good. Like, he was over 1,100 yards receiving, I think, in his second year. Um, there's not a bad player on that list. So I don't get why people are so down on David Moore. Five touchdowns within your first two years as a young receiver is a big deal. Especially people were the- talking themselves into Jerron Brown because he had five touchdowns last year. Like, yeah, and at age like 28 or 29 or something. <laughs> and the dude's never done anything in his career. Like, stop, stop crapping on David Moore. Yeah. You're allowed to be excited about David Moore. He may not be good. I don't know, but you're allowed to be excited about David Moore. Thank you. I appreciate that. No, no, not you. I'm telling, I'm telling the, the dummies out there that want to be mad at him. Like, <laughs> I also need that validation though. So I appreciate it, Nathan. I don't get it. Like it's the one guy where I'm like, yeah, I see the upside here. And everyone's like, like, no, he's bad. Like what is it's bizarre world. It is. It's super weird. It's super weird. <laughs> um, and Brent McKinney, who's asking what their catch percentages are. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter like that. Like, I mean, it, it, sure, but like, <laughs> that's not that's not the point. Like, I mean, if if you could have a guy that's twenty three or younger and catches seventy percent of his balls and uh, has zero touchdowns, versus a guy that catches fifty percent and gets five touchdowns, guess who's going to get the money? Like, people score points, get money. Like, so anyway, I, it, it's about scoring points. It's not about how, what percentage of of, of of passes you catch. Um. Jeff, what are you what are you what are you predicting here for score in this game? I'm not a big fan of Teddy Bridgewater. I didn't like him as a player before he got injured in Minnesota. I thought he was a guy that held on to the ball too long. He is a very conservative, not deep shot guy, and I think that's the kind of guy you kind of have to beat Seattle with. You kind of need to attack the secondary. So I'm going to go 24-13 Seattle. I think Mike Thomas will make a lot of plays. I think Kamara will have some good plays, but I just don't think Teddy Bridgewater will make enough plays down the field. If they can get him in third down situations constantly, I think that sets up really well for Seattle and how they play defense. So I think they're able to get by with that mismatch in Jordan and Effetti and put up 24 points. It'll be a little too close. And then the fourth quarter, they'll pull away. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I've not heard Pete as animated and excited as I heard him on the the Pete Carroll show with Brock and Salk this Monday. And what he was so excited about was his linebackers. And he feels like he kept talking about, I'm still learning. We're still learning about them. We're still learning how to utilize them. But we saw something. And we saw something that made us feel like, you know, it reminded us of some things we've done in the past when we were playing our zones. And those guys were coming up and smashing the, the running backs on, on screen passes. We think, we think we've got – basically, was like, he's, he's like – he literally said, I cannot wait to get back to it this week. I think we're really close to something. And so I think getting Ziggy Yonsa back, getting – you know, getting Ziggy Yonsa for the first time, getting Puna Ford back, um, playing at home uh, – with Lano Hill and not Tedrick Thompson, I think that the defense could put up a really good game against an offense that even without Drew Brees, Sean Payton's a great coach and I think is a real challenge for anybody. He's going to find a way to, to make be, to challenge them as much as possible. 
even with that, I have a feeling the defense is going to step up. And I think it's going to be, I think the offense will probably have a little more trouble early on because I think the Saints defense is better than people realize, but um, I have the Seahawks winning like 24 to seven. Um, I think it's going to be a game where the defense really steps up and uh, probably a little close to the beginning. And, and I think the, the Seahawks run them down at the end. So I think it could be their first game that there's a little bit of breathing room. Um, and uh, it's going to take a while to get there, but um, I'm looking forward to seeing it. So any last comments you guys have before we wrap it up? Uh, I want to just give a shout out to Will Disley. I thought he looked great last game. I don't know if you guys spent a lot of time on him on the post game show. I thought that was a very encouraging sign coming off one of the toughest injuries to come overcome. And the fact that he did get banged up week one and was able to do that. I think he deserves some shout out. And hopefully we can see more of him going forward because he's a really intriguing option in this offense. Oh man. We did talk about just how much of a gap there is between Will Disley, who looks like a good tight end and George Fant, who was an offensive lineman playing tight end last year. Like it, it's just huge difference. And I think it's going to be a big difference when Ed Dixon gets back over Nick Vanette. I think Nick Vanette has been one of the biggest weak spots in their protection and blocking and, and getting him out of there could be a big deal. But to your point about Disley, uh, of tight end in the history of the NFL that have started their career, Disley only played eight snaps in Arizona. So figure he's played five games. He has four touchdowns. The only two players in the history of NFL tight end that have done that are Eric green in 1990 and a guy named Hal Bedsole in 1964. Those are the only tight ends that have had that many touchdowns in their first five games um, in the league. So he's off to a really a pretty productive start. It'll be interesting to see where they go, where he goes from here. Anytime you're mentioned in the same sentence as Hal Bedsole. I know, right? <laughs> right. I mean, who doesn't want to be the next Hal Bedsel? That was my dream growing up. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody, for joining us tonight. Uh, please, if you haven't already, join us at patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Um, we're already working on some cool stuff. You got the Cable Thanos video this week. Hopefully you liked that. It's up on YouTube. Uh, we're looking forward to uh, some more fun uh, later this week. And then uh, – you know, subscribe, subscribe on YouTube, subscribe in iTunes, subscribe in your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Google play, all those things. Leave us a review. We could use some nice reviews. Um, just tell some folks about it. Share this with other people. Uh, go to our sponsors, uh, go to burger master, man, go buy a burger and fries and shake. Uh, call Blake at manifest fit, uh, manifestfit.com and get in shape. Cause God, I just ate like a half a pint of ice cream tonight. It was not a good choice. I did it anyway. Um, go to John Hurlbutt, uh, at altitude homes and, uh, you know, buy a house. Who doesn't want to buy a house right now? Uh, this is the time to do it. So, uh, help us out. We appreciate it. And, uh, go Hawks.